Welcome back to Enlighten Up for episode number seven, Angels, Demons, Free Energy, and Interdimensional Time Travel. We have a very special guest joining Lisa, Michael, and I today, and his name is James Dierks. He's an inventor who describes himself as a whole-brained person, allowing him to access the left brain logic and the highly creative and intuitive right brain that can tap into areas science has yet to explain. He's inventing a way to reduce the electric car hassles drivers currently face, and he's on the verge of a major breakthrough that will become part of our global history. Jim's company has designed a self-charging car loop battery system that will dramatically increase the distance an electric car can drive, thereby cutting down the need to find charging stations as well as time spent charging your car. His real passion, however, is stopping human trafficking, a global epidemic that plagues every country and is getting no main media coverage. His goal is to use his electric car company profits to fund his biggest invention that will be able to decrease the chances of human trafficking, if not stop it altogether. But his story doesn't stop there. Jim has led an incredibly painful life from childbirth and many times should not be alive today to be doing the work he's doing. His genius gifts started to show up at the early age of five when Jesus appeared before him in the middle of the night. This single event and the conversation he had with Jesus as a little boy would set off a chain of highly spiritual and scientifically unexplainable miraculous events that would change his life and the lives of others forever. So let's jump into the episode and find out what he has to say. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Enlighten Up for episode number seven. We are so excited because I am here today with Lisa and Michael, and we have a very special guest on who is going to uh, enlighten us with some of his very, very cool and interesting experiences uh, and visions, as well as his life story, which in itself is incredible to listen to. And as well, later on, we're going to get into what he's doing now because he's doing some really cool stuff that's going to benefit the entire globe. So without further ado, let's welcome Jim Dierex. Welcome to the show. Thank you for Nicole and um, for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, we're really excited to have you here. Um, For our listening audience, Jim and I only met earlier this year and we met through my blog. Right, Jim? Uh, yes, that, that is correct. Yeah, and I think that, it was Imagination. Your... Imagination is 5D, that blog post, right? Yeah, that one. That's how we met, actually. And then I said, hey, I got to talk to this girl. And so I sent you a message on your on your uh, page there. And then that's how we started talking through Facebook. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, you... Forever, I don't know how to say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you, um, you were really gravitated towards the um, using the visions in meditation and uh, allowing the visions to really kind of just take on a life of their own. And that's kind of been helping you with some things. Is that right? That is correct. I'm starting to teach myself how to heal myself using the, the, I'm whether you want to call it like self hypnosis, audio visualization, that kind of stuff. But I see myself as healed already. And, and I'm speaking that to my own body. Uh, (laughs) We're looking outside in compared to inside out and you can't heal yourself a lot of times from the, you cannot heal yourself from the inside out. It has to be from outside in. And um, that's 
how it's happened into my life, I'm again, actually visualizing myself better and I do see results now, but that's, that's part of it. But it also makes sense. If you look at the way our universe is done and everything, I guess is, um, you know, X, Y, and Z are your three planes of 3d and look at a cube and it's X, Y, and Z and time is the fourth dimension. And that encases all the X, Y, and Z because it's limited to the time around it in distance and time and everything. And then you get beyond that, and then you get into the fifth dimension and above, which is outside of our universe. There is no real time because it encompasses all time. And that's how that is, I think. But that's a, but it really resonated with me about thinking outside the box because fifth dimensional creativity would be thinking outside the box. And I see myself do that all the time already. And Nicole, your story, just your article just really um, brought that home. Well, uh, I'm so glad that it brought us together because you've been, um, I, 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 we, we spoke on the phone a week or two ago and just listening to your story, uh, I've got to say, I actually felt my own vibrations rise just listening to you talk and my teeth, wow. were, yeah, my teeth were vibrating. Um, yeah, like, like it just my whole body and I felt actually a lot more happiness and joy coming in. Uh, so that, wow. that was really cool, but I'm really excited because. A, you're a man, um, and I think it'll be really great for Michael to hear uh, a male perspective of what Lisa and I have been talking about. Okay. Right, Michael? Yeah, there's not enough men out there. It seems like it's mostly a women's thing that, that these guys are talking about, so I'm glad you're joining, Jim. Last, yeah, I, I'm that anomaly, but you are too, so that's good. <laughs> uh, uh, but, you know, it's because I'm more whole brain to begin with. Okay, I'm very verbal and left brain, but I'm also very artistic and creative and right brain at the same time. So I let my intuition in to be able to do some of these things and don't I'm whole brained, I guess. And I think that that's uh, most women are more of the right brain and intuition stuff. Right. And that's probably why um, they gravitate more towards this compared to men who like discount it too much. You know, and I think that uh, I think that's what happened in my life many which way. Like Nicole, I was telling you a long time ago that when we were little, my sister had the gift of what's called ESP or whatever easily and uh, stuff. And it didn't really develop in me. I had it, but I didn't develop it again until that time that uh, I heard a voice that's never stopped since that told me that if I went with these people I didn't know, that I'd go to jail that night and probably be in jail for a long time. Yeah, we're we're going to get to that part in the story because that's actually a really interesting part. But let's let's start off with... (laughs) the very beginning because i know okay. in your story you've had quite a few like life and death situations but yeah. um and it, and it started from a very young age yes it sure did it started like really really young um uh for instance just life and death when i grew up as a little kid we had one car for our whole family lived in rural iowa like me okay and my brother had just come home from the hospital from being born. My mother and brother did. And he was like three years younger. He says like three years old. And uh, all at once, uh, I had an asthma attack or something like that. I couldn't breathe hardly out of the blue. And um, so my parents raised me into the hospital emergency room. But if, the, if this asthma attack would have occurred the day before, excuse me, or the day after, I'd probably be dead because my father drank a lot and usually was gone all hours of the night. And we were stuck where we were. So... That's the first instance I know where my life was spared that something tried to kill me um, and all that kind of stuff. But 
then in my house, you know, there's a lot of abuse. There's a lot of stuff I saw that I probably shouldn't have seen. And that didn't help much, of course. And, uh, you know, saw domestic violence and stuff like that happen to my mother. And I try to stop it, too, and everything like that, like a little kid would to protect his mother. And uh, then a few years later, I was like five. Um, Lisa, this made a lot of sense because uh, what you shared in the, the first or second podcast was uh, about seeing Jesus. You were like 16 or something then, I guess. Yes. But when I was like five, when I was like five, um, we had to go to relatives because my mother got her back broken. And uh, uh, we, my father couldn't watch us, which is a good thing because he probably couldn't have anyway. And so they had to send us off to relatives, and I went to a great aunt's house, and a lady across the street from her, ironically, her name was Mrs. Martyr. And uh, <laughs> See, no, there are no coincidences, are there? No, there isn't. And uh, she was an assembly of God lady, and she told us about, about Jesus all the time and gave us cookies and started talking to us and took us to Sunday school. And I remember in the Sunday school, um, it's like saying like the sinner's prayers that they talk about and stuff and uh, asking Jesus to save me and come into my heart and all that kind of stuff. Right. And we went home that night and um, um, my great aunt like let us paint this room. So we painted royal blue for some reason. The whole room was like a dark royal blue from bottom to the floor to the ceiling. And it was really dark in there sort of in the daytime. But so we're sleeping in that room and around three or four in the morning. I feel this presence and this light. I was turned away like my back was to the window and that's where the light and presence was. Okay. And when I turned around, um, I actually saw Jesus, the Lord Jesus himself. And what I'll never forget is his eyes and the peace that was in him. And and uh, the warmth and peace that I felt when that occurred. And I remember actually saying this to him. I said, please let me die and go to heaven. I'm so tired here of the pain. And um, the the Lord told me I couldn't die yet because there were many things to do when I was older to help people with their pain and someday my pain would be gone. And then the presence was there for like five minutes and then it just left. But I felt so safe and secure wow. uh, in the presence that appeared to me. Five years old. That's amazing. And I always tell I always tell Nicole and Lisa, I'm like, you guys are, I guess, in a way, lucky because you get to have these experiences when you're young, which kind of like helped you uh, be open to yeah. these things as you get older. Now, as you got older, Jim, from your testimony, testimony, your pain definitely was not done. And I'll let you tell the rest of your story. But oh, yeah. but. It was amazing to 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 hear these things, but it's really hard for somebody like myself, hence the reason why I'm on the podcast, I suppose, <laughs> to like understand exactly what you guys have experienced. And of course, I would love to get to that level one day myself. But go for it, um, Jim. Okay. Could you? Because Lisa, you said you saw um, a hologram, right? Yeah. When I saw Jesus, it was more like you know, sort of faint. I didn't have okay. uh, I didn't have a conversation with him. He he said one thing to me, and that was pretty much it. Um, and then he was kind of gone. But I didn't really think a whole lot about it. It just felt I don't know. I guess it must have felt kind of normal to me. Um, mm. I I yeah. didn't talk about it or really tell anybody until recently. So 
Yeah. But similar, I guess. So did you stuff. see like a holographic image? Jim? Oh, no, I've seen him like he, he was real. Oh, like an like, actual person just, standing yeah. in your room. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, cool. He wasn't on the floor, but he was uh, above the floor. Oh, wow. Not touching the... There's something about uh, Jesus come to earth in the flesh. And uh, so actually I seen him just like probably the disciples seen him. And um, yeah, like I said, I, I never felt peace and I never felt safety in my own home uh, as a little kid because I didn't have that thing. I didn't have the we were a chaotic, uh, dysfunctional thing, if you call it a family. Even. But when Jesus appeared, I remember that, that I, I felt the warmth and the peace and security like nothing bad could happen to me. That's great. That's well, that's huge because that that's gonna that ends up playing a major role down the road in your life. Like, do you want to go into yeah. how you were given a watch? Yeah, yeah. That's the only reason I think that the Lord spared my life and stuff and kept me out of a lot of trouble is because of that. Um, at about the same time, like that fall, then, um, so I would have just been starting kindergarten. My grandfather gave me a like a watch, like a Timex watch that is the old school kind, right? Because it didn't work. So I took it apart and started playing with it. You know, I was always adventurous and wanted to see how things worked. Uh, mechanically, electrically, it doesn't matter. And then so um, he gave me the watch and I made a promise to God. And I said, if you keep my mother safe and everybody's safe in my family, that when I'm older, I'll serve you because you had time for me and they don't. And then the abuse got worse in my house. And uh, I couldn't, uh, I was pissed off at God because things even got worse. And I threw the watch in the cornfield and didn't want a damn thing to do with God at all. And then that was when I was like five or six. And then by the time I was 11, I started using drugs. Okay. To try to ease the pain. And I was actually already in an alcohol and rehab, drug rehab clinic at uh, 14 years old. I was their youngest contestant at the time. But it all goes back to that. And um, trying to kill the, the pain in my life that was hurting me so bad. And... You know, I just remember also the first time I really had a direct uh, suicidal thought. I was listening to some really death metal music, and a voice in my mind said, just drink a little bit more and the pain will be gone forever. So I ended up uh, drinking a half gallon of vodka at that age, and uh, the pain did go away because I almost died. I woke up. Uh, was in a alcoholic coma for like 36 hours. And then an event happened there that I never told my wife about later, but she had a heavenly visitation and Jesus talked to her and uh, showed her events to my life and showed her that one to where that I'd been like uh, passed out for like a day and a half. I bed the, the next breath I exhaled would be my last one. And it was going to take me to hell. And then the room got bright, and just the hand of God come in is what she saw. And it threw the death angel out of the room and said, you can't have him. I have a plan for him later. And then instantaneously, from what they said, it like after being 
pass out for like 36 hours. They just woke up with no brain damage, no anything. But my wife didn't know this event, but this was like 20 years before it had happened. That God showed it to her and uh, said the reason why um, he spared my life then was the watch. And uh, the promise I made to him, even though I wasn't faithful. And uh, mm, and that's where it all uh, all goes back to that watch, though, and the promise I made and you know, what God still has for me. That's, that's so important because our will and our intent play such important roles in our lives. And the fact that when you were five, six years old and were cognizant enough to tell and make a promise to God, you know, God knew that you were going to be going through a lot of pain and wanted to show you that there would be times where, you know, God was going to be by your side because you asked for it. And I, and I think that's a lot of people miss that is that they, they don't realize that you need to ask for the help if you want it because of free will. Right. Right. And that opened up a door. So you're right that he could bless me and do that. If I wouldn't have said that, then he wouldn't have the ability to break his own rules and intervene later on. Yes. Yeah, that's huge. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about, um, you know, how when you went to school, because I know you've spoken to me about how you really didn't have to try hard and people thought you were lazy or, you know, people would tell you you need to do this or that. And you just didn't want to do what they were telling you to in school. Like you kind of wanted to go against the grain. Can you talk about that? Okay. Yeah, I guess I was just made that way, I guess, a little bit. But, but for some reason, I just have this ability to know things. I really do. And uh, and I don't know how it's a God gift or something, too. But everything out there is all knowledge is there. If we just tap into it, I think, sometimes. And our, we can fight it and do it the hard way, I guess, and study and learn, which is good. And you should do that. But then some knowledge just seems to, like, drop into me. And that's how I just know things ahead of time or if someone's lying to me or doing something like that, I usually can tell too. Um, somehow or another, I just know. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know, in high school, this stuff I was tested and, uh, I had like an IQ of 177 or something, but everybody could have a good day, I guess. And, uh, uh, but I was, um, I took the test and it wasn't even like a best day to do it. I didn't know it was getting done, but the area education people wanted to test me to see if I was just lazy, dumb, stupid, or didn't care. And it was the didn't care part and lazy that showed up there, I guess. But, uh, you know, I took my first college course at nine or 10, I forget, from the University of Iowa on astronomy because that was my favorite subject. Are in you old serious? Days. At nine? Wow. Yeah. Holy yeah. crap. <laughs> yeah. I was one of them anomalies, I guess, non-conforming the whole way around. It's just hard to, it'd be really hard if they had to teach for like the 1% of the people that are like me, but that's, that's probably what's out there. Everybody's usually just a left-brained and verbal and written kind of person. And, but the whole brain person is harder to teach to because like too hard for a lot of teachers to deal with. But in the third grade, they actually thought I was doing the same thing. So I went to a Catholic school then and third or fourth. And, um, you know, they gave me the, some tests that showed where you would be at scholastically. And I was already 12, nine and 12, nine in math and reading in the third grade, which is, you know, 12th grade, ninth month here in America. So that means I had equivalent of what a high school GED would have already. And I just never, 
never really tried, I guess, or applied myself after after the abuse stuff started happening. And uh, I guess I did good in first, second, and third grade, maybe. or So it was fourth when all this stuff happened, the same time I took a college course. But uh, it was uh, hard on me to do what everybody else was doing because uh, I already knew it. And uh, had to, I graduated high school with a .67 GPA or something like D minus minus, just barely skating by. And then at the same time, though, I begged to get on this team just to prove something to some people on uh, this academic decathlon they have here in the U.S. And uh, I think I placed like first in public speaking and this interview thing and then like third or fourth in science and fifth in history or something out of all these smart kids there. There's like 70 kids, 75 kids. So I guess I did all right. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> <laughs> That, well, you know, we, we did, we talked about that on a couple episodes ago about how school is kind of designed to dumb us down, um, that it doesn't really uh, teach us how to think for ourselves. Um, it, well, that's, yeah. 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 That's, that's what it is, though. I think like that, like our school system, at least in the United States, tries to stifle all cre- creativity out of everybody. They just want you to be a parent and repeat what they say and don't explore things yourself. Absolutely. You know, <laughs> they want everyone to be the same. Yeah, and that that used to be my password to log into the uh, the network where I worked at before. My my password used to be E equals MC squared not because I don't believe Einstein. And the tachyon particle proved him wrong already because it actually traveled faster than the speed of light at the CERN accelerator last year. So the Einstein isn't perfect. Einstein isn't right. And, a lot of stuff in the old days, I think, is going to be resurrected, and the theories or what we call laws are just basically loose associations pretty soon here. Like, a, like when the laws of thermodynamics come out, maybe only 50 people in the whole world understood them, so it prep, perpetuated their theory because who's going to go against the expert when you don't know yourself? And if you're part of the same peer group, you're going to look stupid for the rest of your life. So I think a lot of times things weren't questioned. And if you look at Einstein's theory, you'll – E equals MC squared. It's not much different than Newton's theory of uh, mechanical relativity, which is one half KEV squared or something. It's uh, almost the same as, as Einstein's. You just copied it and thought no one would challenge him. That's what I think anyway. But it proves the, again, the tachyon particle in the CERN accelerator. Last year, a year before, proves that uh, there are particles faster than light, and that would be the tachyon particle, a subatomic particle. Yeah, I've I've been reading about the tachyon particles lately. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And that's where the time comes in. See, and I think we were talking about this, Nicole. That um, I've actually seen a vision of this, and um, how like uh, the fifth dimension, sixth dimension, whatever and beyond, can coexist in our three D plane, and we we'll never know it um, because the energy level is higher than light, and um, and in their world it's physical too but to ours it isn't it's sort of like like we're the holodeck and they're the enterprise so to speak you know you know what I, you ever seen that on inter, uh next generation and above no star trek i have that's <laughs> right he has right you seen that you know what i'm talking yeah, about i know what you're talking about but it's actually something behind it that makes it real in substance it's, it's not mm-hmm. real but looks real and that's sort of like this universe is i think mm-hmm. you know and um but where I was going with that is there could be two, three different things um, having the same space but never see each other or 
interact because the higher energy forces could see us, but we couldn't see them. It's sort of like we can perceive sound and light, but we don't have the ability to perceive anything that's above light. Well, okay, so this is really cool because, Michael, you sent me um, a TED Talk uh, this morning to listen to called Hidden on TED Radio. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this is kind of speaking to that. Like, it's uh, the the first thing they talk about on that that show is how the guy who did the potato chip... um, a test bag, on stage, yeah. Bag of potato chips, yeah. It made made them into a mic, and how everything, uh, concrete like sound, everything's vibrating, and our sound vibrates it more. And so, basically, yeah, basically, basically, he videotaped silent video of a bag of potato chips. Okay. So it was silent video. However, he was in the background singing "Mary Had a Little Lamb," like yelling. Yeah. It. And then later, with perceptive like camera like uh, work, I can't remember what it was, uh, but it's he he talks about it on his TED talk. Later, he used like this camera algorithm to decipher just from the silent video the vibrations, the different vibrations of light that was on the potato chips, and literally you could hear the whole song "Mary Had a Little Lamb." It Even, was like an amazing, wow. an amazing thing. Yeah, very cool. But that just wow. goes to speak like that, you know, just because we can't hear it or can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. Exactly. 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 And I heard that podcast like maybe like or that that TED podcast like oh God, like six or seven months ago before Nicole and I really even started talking about this. Huh. And I heard it again this morning. I'm like going Oh my gosh, this is like exactly what <laughs> Nicole keeps preaching about without even knowing. Synchronicities. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, because we think that, you know, we see our body as solid. So we think that our po- molecules are not moving, but everything's moving at very microscopic levels that our, our eye can't see. Uh, and so we don't think we're actually vibrating, but we actually are. Right. And everything actually has resonant frequencies too. And there's destructive, non-destructive harmonics that go on all the time as well. And the destructive harmonics, I think, can even affect the, probably our cellular level and DNA and stuff. So we've been talking a lot these past few few weeks, almost months actually, about positive and negative and, and things in our world and things in our lives that brings down, like you said, the frequencies and brings up. And I think you you talk about that in your testimony without really realizing, like even like when you said you li- used to listen to death metal music, and then one day you're like, "This is not good. <laughs> this is not good for me." Yeah, yeah. I had a vision, and it opened up uh, my mind, and I had to make up my mind right then and there if I was going to still do that all the time and work off the negative energy, and it actually like sent negative vibes through me, like adrenaline and bad things for my body because I was so used to negative energy. Then when I saw then, right afterwards, I don't know if I put it in there, but I think I did. I saw myself in front of a, a small group of people, and I just raised my hands, and all of a sudden, like a uh, basketball-sized uh, bolt of uh, emerald green yeah, lightning you did. In it, okay, came through me, and then that went 
right. I was like a lightning rod. I didn't do anything no. else, but it just you, you got to say the me. whole. You got to say the whole story with this is the amazing part of your testimony. In my part, in my opinion, was was this part that you're talking about it. So definitely tell everybody what what was going on. Oh, here. okay. Yeah. Well, at this point in my life, I was still addicted, um, and uh, I, I had an issue with. Uh, I guess pornography, like everybody probably has if they're a man and can see and visualize. Okay. And all of a sudden I realized that was negative energy too. And a voice said to get rid of it all. And when I got rid of it all, the car that I had used for so much evil, I guess, just up and quit. Like the time and chain sprocket broke. And then that caused the engine to break and did go into a long story and uh, without making it complicated how mechanics work. So I had to take it to a, a shop and it took me 30 days to get it out and I got it out Friday night and this is Saturday midday now I guess around two or three and I'm driving around and the, like I said something like superseded whatever was there and the ear gate that usually took that stuff in was like blocked and, and the vision gate opened and then I saw myself again at some kind of prayer meeting or something with uh, I don't know 50 100 people 500 something like that small okay and then that this Emerald colored lightning come through my hands, head, and out uh, every finger and thumb out of both sides. So 10 people got touched by it. It just was the size of probably like an inch or two around lightning bolts, I guess. And whenever that person needed it, it happened. And then it happened again. And everybody was healed or whatever they needed was done. And then like the next night, it grew to like 500, I guess. So, okay, so you, you saw no, this. No, 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 not just healed. I mean, like some of the things I was reading, like, whoa. Yeah, like, like, I like mean, oh, yeah, that, okay. Like a man was missing an arm in the vision, okay? Yeah. The lightning <laughs> touched him, his arm grew out. Another man had AIDS, it was healed. Another woman had something else wrong. Another person didn't have an eye sock because their eye got knocked out. And it grew back, and they were able to be 100% because of the energy in the, in the green lightning. It okay. was from the fifth dimension and above, and it actually rechange things in our physical dimension and actually created miracle like that started occurring and occurring. And where were <laughs> that's awesome. Man. Where were you when this happened? I was in my car driving. Oh, so these were visions that you had. This is a vision. Uh, yeah. So sorry, I should have yeah, I'm sorry, I should have clarified that. But yes, it was this a vision. After, this is after he's like, no, no to the death metal music. It's done. Right, it's right. like and then all of a sudden it's in the tape deck when I had this vision. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, but I'm saying something superseded it and shut it down, and then like a bigger vision with more energy come into my mind. And then when I was when I parked or pulled over, I just said I don't need this anymore, and God says I don't need it, and I ripped the hit the cassette jack and then broke the tape in half, and then I felt like uh, something was ripped out of my head. Actually, I felt something like. Uh, like was stuck in my brain was like pulled out, like the roots were even pulled out of it. And it was just like thrown away. And then you know what happened? Like an hour afterwards, we left my son, my oldest son at my mother's house, we had to go get something to have a barbecue. It was her birthday. And we were stopped trying to make a left-hand turn on a two-lane road. And this guy come up and hit me from behind it like 55 or 60 mile an hour. And uh, we were spared. I walked away with just a bruised arm and, and everything and and um my my trunk was seven feet tall because he had hit it so much it smashed my car up that much and it actually took the paint off of his license plate and 
and and stamped it onto my bumper. So if he could have drove away, he would have had his license plate. That's how hard <laughs> we were hit. Whoa. Well, I, even when I was reading that, Jim, I was like thinking, thank God your brother or your, your son was not in the back seat too. Oh, yeah. And that was another miracle because he would have usually been because he had his car seat and we usually drove around in that. And his, the, the, the trunk was right up against my wife's uh, front seat. So he would have died. Yeah, there's no way around it. But God didn't want that to happen, of course. So he kept him and um, safe and kept me and my wife safe. But I always wonder if I wouldn't have made that choice to get rid of that then, if I'd be here talking to you guys today. Because there's choices in people's lives and you're probably only given so long to make a certain choice before you go to. <laughs> it's like, how many mulligans will God give you? <laughs> yeah, is that, you know, but that is correct. Uh, and I'm thank God for his mulligans, right? Or would all yeah. be good. <laughs> well, okay, so like you've you've had you've had these incredible um, near death near death experiences. Can we go back to when you were twelve and you okay. you were drinking and you had a lot of anger and rage from the abuse that you had endured as a child, and you saw something in your basement. Oh yeah, yeah. I almost forgot about that with anything else going on in my life. I try to gravitate towards the angels I see versus the other side. Okay. But uh, in my room, I felt a presence, and I looked back over my shoulder, and it wasn't Jesus this time. It was a, a demonic entity, I guess. It looked sort of like between a pig, a bat, and a, uh, 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 it had hooves, too. So I'm not quite sure what it truly was, but it was gray and dark and red and uh, pure evil, pure evil. And I remember even trying to talk to a Catholic priest about this and my mind shut down, like my whole head went numb and I couldn't speak about it till after I left. And then it was there again. And yeah. And then from that point to the time I had the first uh, overdose time, uh, I think that thing really influenced my life quite a bit in a bad way. So do, and, you, do uh, you feel like, okay, you saw this in the basement, in your basement. Um, what, I, like, how long did the vision stay there when you saw it? Oh, it was with me for like five or ten minutes. And was it just like when you saw Jesus, like it looked like a real thing in your room? Like yeah, it was there. It wasn't in my mind. It wasn't my mind's eye or third eye. It was actually physically in front of me using my own eyes. Okay. And so do you, because I mean, it sounds like that when you went to the priest, you, you were trying to speak about it to someone that it was silencing you so that you couldn't talk about it to the priest? Oh, yeah, that's exactly what happened, Nicole. That's exactly what happened. Is this and, af uh, after, the, after the heavy metal no, incident? No, this is before. This is when he's a kid still. Yeah, he's oh, 12. Okay. Yeah, it's still. This is, this is um, let's see, 26, 12, 14 years earlier. Okay. Than that other experience that I had later on. Um, and, uh, yeah, that thing was there. And uh, I had a lot of anger in my life, you know, and, and uh, all that. And it was feeding off all that, I think. The negative energy likes negative energy, and that's why it uh, was around me. It's like uh, death likes death, I guess, or something, right? And um, that's, that's what I think it was, really. And, uh, you know, uh, I believe that, uh, well, God allowed it to be there to show me where I was, but still didn't remove it from me for a little while. But I think that that was maybe even the spirit behind my addictions in real life. That's, and all that that's huge because we just talked about that 
two episodes ago on how oh, okay. I, I Michael, I would, but I didn't... yeah, Michael, you remember you talked about um, spirits, uh, basically. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, so you this is something I want to bring drink. up today. Right. Um, yeah, because uh, we were talking about how alcohol could potentially open you up to ridiculous negative spirits. Take, basically, we kind of dumbed it down by saying taking your body for a joyride while your soul is kind of checked out. And, and this wasn't from us. This was an article that, that we read. But it was very interesting. I find it very interesting because a lot of the things that you wrote in your testimony, I'm like, man, this is why I'm so glad <laughs> that you're a guy. It's really nice hearing a man's perspective when it comes to these kind of things. And, yeah. and, and, and you're not the only one that has to deal with these, we call them demons almost in, in short, but we don't even think about using the word demons, but it's probably pretty accurate when we actually use the word demons. And, yeah. and, and so like being a heavy alcoholic at one time, and even myself, yeah. I, 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 there is a time in my life, you know, I, I'm okay with drinking now, but like, I, I'm still, I'm actually, I was just telling Nicole a couple of days ago, I'm like, I'm actually starting to not enjoy even the casual couple of drinks anymore. Wow. Uh, maybe Did you it's, go to college, Michael? What's that? Did you go to college somewhere, right? Yeah, yeah. I went to Catholic school all the way up to 12th grade and then college. And, and it's funny that you... Well, I'm just saying, were you a binge drinker like me in oh, college? Oh, I've been That's a drinker, but like what you said was a manic drinker. And, and you referred to it meaning like you were highly functional during the day. And then six o'clock or five o'clock rolled around, and you're you're done. It's like you you yourself exactly. checked out, and alcohol checked in. And I have many days like that when I was in my uh, dark depressional days of my life. I'm like going, oh, right. I know exactly what it's like. And and it really, yeah, you do stupid, not smart stuff. A lot of times, bad stuff when you're you know heavily into alcohol. And I would imagine other people with alcohol, drugs, and whatnot. That it really yeah. relates to me. <clears throat> then I had to start mixing prescription and non-prescription drugs with alcohol to feel anything. And then I feel too good at the end of the day from the uppers I took to wake me up that I self-destruct at nighttime. And then again, the depression to take over. You're exactly right. It's a it's a weird cycle. Baby. And it was, yeah, it's like a roller coaster. Yeah. yeah. And I did too. I wanted to self-medicate because uh, my addictions even got worse in my 20s because I was uh, undiagnosed with... Uh, PTSD from the war and the stuff I saw over there. I don't really want to share too much of, but um, it numbed my emotions to nothing. And the only time I could feel peace actually was when I was completely comatose drunk almost because then the, the thoughts and the images and the triggers would go away. But then I wasn't useful to anybody, including myself. So, And have you, <laughs> have you stopped drinking now? Oh, yeah. That's another thing I told Nicole. I had a... Um, uh, near-death experience and a spiritual deliverance. Yeah, can, on you, Halloween can you start from the beginning of that? Because that's a really good story. Two or three months over, okay? And then when Halloween occurred, and I uh, woke up and even went to this church on Sunday and thought, man, I'm, I'm powerful. Nothing's going to bring me down, right? But by 5 o'clock, I had this compulsion to use again. And I just got like a $800 check from the Veterans Administration for my like substance allowance and stuff for going to school. So I cast that check and um, it, the monkey was on my back. And by 530, it already had like 12 beers and mixed drinks and stuff like that. And 
later. So I was looking for harder things to do because alcohol was numbing me, but not doing anything. And then when bar time occurred, I started driving home. And I lived like 70 miles from the University of Iowa, uh, where my small town was that I lived in at the time. And uh, I drove about 12 miles, and I heard this blaring voice. It said, pull into the rest area. This is your last chance. If you do not, you will die before you get home, and you'll kill somebody else, and your life will be over. And that was louder than the music I was playing, which was loud. And I uh, heard that voice like twice. Three times, I think it was. So I pulled into the rest area, turned off the car, and reclined my seat to sleep it off. And when I did that, uh, uh, an angel appeared to my wife in our living room and woke her up and told her that I was coming home at 11 o'clock the next morning. And she forgave me I'd live and that I'd learned my lesson and I'd never drink or use drugs again. And if I did used drugs or drank again the first time the pipe or the bottle struck my mouth touched my mouth god was going to strike me dead he told her that and should say <laughs> this angel's like eight feet tall and it's it's clothing was white and shiny and had a gold like satchel or like what a priest wears across its shoulder to its waist and uh his eyes were so bright and face was so bright that uh she had actually thought she had died, and it told her, fear not, you're not dead. I'm here to give you a message. And the voice was calm, she said, soothing, but authoritative, like it had a lot of power every, every word it spoke, okay? And it said that I'd be coming home, and she had to forgive me. She didn't. The voice told her that uh, the monkey would be on my back still. And two or three days later, I have the compulsion to drink or use drugs, and the first time the piper bottle touched my mouth, it I'd be dead. And uh, so she thought she was dreaming. And then the phone rang and gave her the same exact message through the phone line, the same voice that was in our living room a second ago. And told her I learned my lesson that I never drank or used drugs again. And if I did, I'd be struck dead basically and be home by 11 for her to forgive me. Okay, so the next day I was sleeping it off. What time do you think I got home? 11. <laughs> and we love the number 11. <laughs> you are. That's exactly what. And she was there waiting for me. And she was usually at work, and I couldn't understand why. And she said, you know what? I love you. I'm going to give you one more chance. Because from what I saw, if you do this again, I'm through with you anyway. And I'm ready. And I can go do something else. And so that really hurt my wife really bad at that time. And how we stayed together for 26 years now is amazing. But uh, um, this is like in year two or three of being married. Year three of being married. And... Um, so she went on to work, she hugged me, she left, went back to work, and then I went to bed. As I'm laying down on my bed, flat on my back, I raise one hand, my right hand to God, my index finger, a pointing finger, at God, and I said, either deliver me or kill me. It's your choice, I'm worthless to everybody. I'd be better off dead, and I've wanted to die so many times, so just kill me and get it over with, okay? And so I said that, and then I went to sleep, to sleep off my my relapse and that, you know, about killed me. My body was shutting down, I think. And all at once I'm in this state between uh, alive and dead, I guess is what I'm saying. Sort of like in a paralyzed state where I could see things, but I couldn't respond to them. And, but I wasn't sure if I was dead or alive actually. And I saw the same uh, preacher that I saw when I was 14. So this goes back to what you're saying, Mike. Um, it had its talons and claws in my, in my neck. 
like it was choking the life out of me, choking everything good out of me. And uh, it was like choking me to death. And I heard a voice say, say the name of Jesus. And I tried 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 and I really couldn't. And then the thing started laughing at me instead of did one. And then I said, Jesus, like this, Jesus, but that counted. And then it still was choking the life out of me with one of its hand talon things. And the other hand talon ripped into my side, like where your appendix is. And I just felt like it was ripping my insides out because it actually owned something there, I think. And then the same voice said, say the name of Jesus. And it still took like five or 10 minutes. And that thing was like there. And I said, Jesus, like that the second time. And then I physically died and I went to hell, like it talks about in the Bible. Um, like agonizing pain, sort of like a, like a nightmare that wasn't ever going to end. It's the only way I can really describe this. There were people around me, but I had no interaction with anybody. And never would again. I never speak to another human being for all eternity. And uh, it went on like that. And and then the, everything was tormenting me, and my body was in more pain than when I was still alive the second time. And I heard a blaring voice that said, if I could say the name of Jesus in hell, I'd arise and walk out of there. So the third time I said, just like this, Jesus, third time, just like that, even all the torment and pain I was in. And then a pillar of light, like six feet around, seven feet around something, like came down like it was like a Roman column, okay? Like that size came down into the darkness I was in and all that scattered for everything it was worth. And I walked into the pillar of light and it took me out of there like, like an elevator. And when I came back to, I was back in my body and I had no desire for drugs or alcohol. And like um, uh, violence was ripped out of me too. And um, the next day I was at a bar in Iowa City eating lunch. And people were drinking all around me and had no desire for it. That's one hell of an AA class. <laughs> that is, hey, I shared that once and I got thrown out. Uh, in AA? The they thought it was too... Uh, it, it, uh, yeah. it, it didn't Not fit the 12 AA. steps? <laughs> yeah. That's step they, 13. They didn't like that I was free and didn't have to struggle over it. That one was effortless. Like a lot of things in my life have been like walking with a limp for the rest of my life, you know, in other areas. But as far as uh, violence against people, um, fits of rage like that, and um, uh, drinking and drugs, all gone out of my life at that time. See, and uh, and that would be 23 years on Halloween. Congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. That's incredible. I'm so happy for you and your wife. <laughs> when you talk about how you don't have that desire anymore, it speaks to how God removed the demon that was within you. And I think a lot of yep. people don't understand that we can take on these negative energies and they can manipulate us in ways that we don't understand or can even fathom within our own imagination. Yeah, yeah, that's the truth. And you know what, Nicole, another thing about your fifth dimensional stuff, right? It works that way for temptation as well. Now this stuff is all on the outside. If it would try to tempt me, okay, it's on the outside trying to get in compared to on the inside controlling me to where I don't have no willpower against it. It's a temptation from the outside now compared to the inside as well, like it used to be. That's yeah. one thing I would say. Uh, it's It can't get in again unless I open a door or gate to let it come in. Okay? Yeah. As long as I don't use again, 
if I don't use drugs again or alcohol or hurt somebody with violence, it might come back into me, okay? But unless them doors are opened by me and my will, like you talked about earlier, uh, it doesn't have a right to be back here. And that's why it has no legal right to my being because of the fact that I threw it out or God threw it out using my own willpower. Because that's why I had to speak the name of Jesus. If I wouldn't have spoke my own willpower, it still would have won. Can you, since we're talking about being healed, <laughs> can you go into how you've actually assisted people in their own healing? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A physical body healing we're talking, yeah, all right? Yeah. I heard to go to this church, this voice that I heard again a year earlier is still talking to me all the time and still does in important things. And it told me to go to this church I've never been to before in the inner city of Davenport. And so I went there. And after the usual Sunday night service, the pastor of this church said, uh, if anybody needs healing or prayer, come forward and we'll, we'll pray for you. And if you feel faith enough to help me pray, you can come up here too. And our first contestant, okay, I'm going to call it like this, was in a wheelchair, like a 90-year-old woman that was all all bent up, okay? Like, like her knuckles and her fingers and all that were all full of arthritis, right? And like uh, she was bound by it even like she couldn't walk and stuff and i'm thinking god can't we start with something easier that's my first words that i'm thinking <laughs> all right <laughs> but there's no order of difficulty in miracles no i, I see that but this is, is a man <laughs> never doing it before okay and right. i'm thinking to myself <laughs> right can we just start with something easier <laughs> but the minister of the church had known her for years and he had no faith so he, i just started praying and i didn't even know what, what i was saying but it actually worked and I touched her, and I said, by his stripes, you are healed in Jesus' name. And I command you to walk in the name of Jesus. And I felt like a 240-volt electricity come from my hand into her, and she felt it too. And next thing I know, she's running around the room. Unbound. And then I had my first word of knowledge for her too. And I told her what I heard was that you need to forgive somebody or some people. If you don't, you'll be bound in that wheelchair again before tomorrow. Oh, wow. But if, but if you forgive them, you will remain free. I had no idea about holding grudges and curses and unforgiveness. I had no idea about that at that time. But that's what the lady did. So, And that was right on because she had like bitterness towards like 10 or 20 people. And that was actually was causing her arthritis and her like uh, clamming up kind of thing or whatever. And, but at the same time that happened, I heard a voice that I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to kill you okay, for having that happen there and building everybody else's faith. Because after the first lady walked around the room, ran around the room and wasn't in her wheelchair, uh, everybody else behind got what they needed um, and stuff. And everybody was what they prayed for happened because it elevated everybody's faith level so high. Uh, that was one time. And another time, this old man that I knew was fighting with diabetes. He was a prophet mentor of mine. And uh, he didn't know I was praying for him. But so I, I went on a, it's called a Daniel fast, not even a whole fledged water fast, but like no meat, no sweets, no anything good, just basically your vegetables and that's it. And uh, so I went on that for like two or three weeks. And I prayed that his liver function would come back to normal, that his kidney function and um, uric acid levels would return to normal and his creatine levels would return to normal that it'd be better and he was uh, on dialysis and after three weeks of praying for him in him being a different geographical location there's no distance in the spirit okay i prayed for him and prayed for him 
And then after the third week, uh, he didn't need dialysis no more, and his kidney function returned to, like, one, which is really good for his age. And uh, um, he didn't need dialysis, and he was recovering and uh, from the diabetes. And to give him five more years before he died. Wow. So, yeah, Michael, I know you have a question for this about people being healed and not being heard about in the like main media news. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you know what it is. It's like I, I was. I, I think it was last week when we were talking about this. Um, I, I always wondered why was the Bible written two thousand year, years ago and things aren't being written now or whatever. And then I was also thinking it's probably because. We just don't believe our own eyes anymore. We don't believe anything, any more videos that you see on the internet anymore. We don't believe, like if I just met you, Jim, and 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 you just, you know, started talking about this, you know, so, I'd be yeah. like, uh-huh, yeah, and? It's like, it's you, know what, you know what, Mike, though? If I met you in person for the first time, just to prove this stuff is real, I would touch you, like shake your hand. And I would tell you things about your past that have happened, exactly how they happened, and then you'd know that God is real. So I'm looking at flights to eastern Iowa, and there's not too many of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. No, I'm really serious, because uh, that's the other thing, too. Like, in public, right? Yeah. This happens more, because i never seen God not honor his word in public. Like, I'll be at a place like Walmart or something, right? And I don't know. My wife says I attract the bazaar. I don't know if I do, don't, whatever. <laughs> but people just start coming up to me and start talking, and they'll share their life a little bit. And then, like, I do dream interpretation. If you had a dream, I might be able to interpret what it really meant. And sometimes, actually, like, do anyone actually know the dream that they had? And that doesn't happen all the time. I got to really be spiritually in tune for that one. But I actually had the ability nowadays that when I'm close to somebody in public, it's really dangerous because sometimes I'll start feeling their pain. And then God will show me the root of what happened to them when they were little that caused that pain. And in which way I feel people's pain and emotions. Like sometimes if I start feeling anxious and I feel it from one person in the room that's really suffering from anxiety, nobody knows them or know that. And same thing with uh, pain and same thing that people are really positive energy kind of things too that i know that people are right with god and stuff so but that's always happened or it has for the last like um uh, about the last 10 or 12 years it's gotten more like that but all that took time you know what i mean that's what um like the initial story i told you about the woman in the prayer and getting up and then telling a word announced for the first time that's not much different mike from the the lightning bolts coming through my head and out my fingers. Oh well, yeah, that's what I was like. And I was remember reading too. That was amazing, the vision. But like, I think was it the same time when you were, you helped the arthritic lady? You you were like going around going, yo, if anybody else wanted need some help, you better come talk to me now because I'm not sure how long this is gonna last. <laughs> Basically, that's how it was because I never experienced that before. Right. But I had to actually lay hands on her, right? And that's the the progression of things in the spirit realm as you develop these gifts from what I understand <clears throat> is like again the first time I had to lay hands on somebody and actually speak it right now then I was speaking it without having to lay hands on them and the person got healed okay and then this way I don't have to do anything except be a light limb rod of God and do what he wants and it'll go through me but that just shows me too it's nothing in me it's nothing in any of this and when people start getting that way is when the problems start you feel 
like a hand on my left side of my chest by my heart. I actually feel a presence of a hand there. And when that presence of a hand is there, then that's when these over-the-top things start happening. And uh, without it there, it's not as much. You know, you you touched on something that I think is really big, um, and it's about how your spiritual gifts started to, to develop as you became more aware of them and you were able to hone them. And, I mean, I know Lisa and I have both been feeling that um, with, you know, for me, it's my visions. Um, yeah. And, like, Lisa has her light language now coming through and it's getting stronger and stronger and she's starting to be able to interpret things. And, um, right. you know, I know Michael... The, the big question is, is like, well, how does how do we know if it exists or not? And once you start having that faith that it does exist, even if you may not know it, you can't see it, you can't touch it, you can't feel it um, or hear it. But if you believe it, then then it will show up. It's like you don't see it to believe it. You believe it so you can see it. Yeah, that's pretty good. Speaking of um, planes and dimensions and all of that. Uh, I know that you've had an experience with time travel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Your stories and, are you never know, uh, ending. Well, yeah, like it's 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 like an it's like a it's like Pandora's box, right? I know. You know? Um, what yeah. happened was yeah, for tell business us a story. I used to make car seats and strollers, and there was a juvenile products manufacturing trade show in Dallas, Texas, every year at the Apparel Mart in Dallas, and. Uh, we were running late to get a new product developed and done. And I sent one guy out with the, tra with the trailer and all the equipment except uh, one piece, um, like 12 hours ahead of us. And we got retain detained back in Iowa to finish up getting some work done and some stuff sewing and stuff. And I took two ladies with me that had just been off drugs for a couple weeks, actually. Because in the old days, I used to, that was my motto. It's like the French Foreign Legion. I don't care about your past, it's your future and what you can do now that I care about and speaking into your life. And so I hired a lot of addicts in the old day, okay? This and, is this uh, is after you've been sober, though. You've been sober now. Yeah, yeah. This is now, how old would I have been? Let's see here. Two, 1999, 2000, that's what, uh, 17 years ago? 30. So I was like 30 years old then. So I, I was sober for, speaking of that, though, I was sober in October. And in uh, January, I took a course on new venture creation and launched my own first business out of there. And that's a miracle by faith, too, because I started with $23, the same baby business thing. And that's what it cost to build my first prototype in a friend's garage and have my own tools. But within a year and a half, everybody, I raised $1.5 in equity capital and only I give up 15% of my business without a college degree, without a track record, without a business plan. That's a mission amazing. from God. We did it. That's amazing. And uh, <laughs> that's, that doesn't happen, I guess, usually. No. And uh, <laughs> of course it does. Not usually. Not usually. So then so then this is like a year or two after I started this business and we were uh, um, doing that. We were um, having to go to a trade show. And so we left late and it was later and later and later. And we were like in Kansas City, Missouri at like uh, – I don't know, 9.30 before we actually got going again. And uh, then we um, started heading out, and then we put a CD in to listen to, and it seemed by the time that CD was over with, like we had gone a lot farther than we had. And so, like, uh, two hours into it, we were already in uh, 
past Joplin, Missouri, into Oklahoma somewhere. And we sat down at a, at a truck stop to get something to eat and relax for a couple minutes. So we even took an hour's break during this whole time. And we looked at it and we said, wow, we had gone like 650 miles in like four and a half hours. And you know that's impossible. Rate equals D over T and it's just impossible. Okay? In a car. And so we kept doing that and then uh, we realized that we like entered the twilight zone for real. And that guy left 12 hours ahead of us and he pulled into the parking lot of the convention place um, right before we did like within 15 minutes. It's like the plowman overtook the reaper and we, we actually physically were transported in space and time and there's no way around it. So and what did these girls, what did these girls say when this happened? Like what was their reaction? Really freaking out because they felt a power in the car that scared them. Oh, so they felt something. Oh, they did. They felt the eeweejeebies, whatever you want to call it. And I said, that's just the presence of God. And, um, but it, it made them, the, the presence wasn't hurting them. And it didn't make them get fearful. They actually felt like, uh, like really good and peaceful and that they had hope in their lives. Actually, it was when they felt that presence, they said. How did they so, do after that? Like, is, do they maintain their sober sobriety after that? Uh, one did, one didn't, but I think she is now. You know, and it's like in an addiction life, um, um, it's a, how many times you get up and how many times you fall, but uh, right. getting up again is an important part. And uh, But I think she's on the right course now. They always called me, my employees at the time always called me the miracle man because it always looked like we were going to crash and burn. And at the very last second, we'd pull up again and we'd, we'd be doing fine for a while. And then another thing would try to hinder us. And then it looked like we would be out of business. And then we were still in business and all that. Like I told Nicole last time we talked, there was a time that I got presumptuous and I wanted to do something ahead of time. I just wanted to do it. And so I told this guy, if I flip heads, We'll do it. Tails, we won't. And so the first one I flipped was tails, and then I told myself two out of three, and I got two heads because I really wanted to do it. But so I had like $350 in my accounts payable because there was some money coming in, but not for later. And uh, so they had sent me credit for $150,000 on this mold I needed. And then like when it was due, we were like out of money. So we had like $153,000 in accounts payable and only like $300 in our checking account. And like everybody quit on me except for like two or three people. But I didn't hold that against them because I'm thinking, why are they following this retarded guy for that's going to go under? Okay, because that's what it looked like. And then I prayed and prayed and prayed for 21 days. And on the 22nd day of that, I get to the office and this guy says to me that one of the few people didn't quit on me. He said, um, this man called a half hour ago and said, smile. Um, you should be happy now. I just sent you a check for $250,000. Wow. The cashier's check that cleared and I actually have the check because everybody thinks that happened in a tent somewhere else too, Mike. <laughs> yeah. And and I, I told Nicole I learned something that day. My m main bank was like, uh, I don't know, 15 miles away. So I tried putting that $250,000 check through an ATM machine. And I kept getting this Air 51, Air 51. And I finally went up to the clerk at the cashier at the, at the drive up and I go, what in the heck's an Area 51? Oh, um, you can't deposit more than $75,000 in an ATM machine. I learned something. I didn't know there was an upper limit, but there is. 
And so we had to t- take that check to the main bank. Good to and- know next time I have to cash one of those checks. High class, you know? high class problem. You, yeah. you didn't know that? I mean, come on now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, it really surprised me. But you should have seen everybody at work that come back. They couldn't believe it neither. And then, they, again, that's why they called me the miracle man. I didn't ask to be called that, but that's what they actually did. And, you know, uh, a lot of miracles did happen in my business and that shouldn't happen. But that's for later on in life for me now. Um, now I learned from my mistakes, hopefully, in my 20s. And that's actually doing it pretty early, too. A lot of people don't have a multi-million dollar business in their 20s yet. But I did, actually. And then... So now with what I'm doing, it's so much easier. And it's so much easier now to start a business and be entrepreneurial because there's a lot more uh, support ecosystem for people nowadays. Like when I was doing my first business, I really had no one to talk to. I was lonely and it was like the blind leading the blind because most people had gray hair dealing with the problems I was having. And most of my friends were out of college with entry-level jobs and with not as much quite responsibility and leadership skills that I didn't have developed yet. But, but now it makes it a lot, a lot easier. Version two is a lot better. Well, There's a startup itself in every corner. Yeah, well, speaking of business, do you want to tell us um, what you're doing right now? Because mm. it's pretty it's pretty big and pretty important. I had a vision about, I don't know, six, seven years ago. After I sold my first business for a profit, I was thinking about what to do. And I uh, wanted to help my friends. They have a, a ministry or they used to have that helped um, with human trafficking prevention. And actually extraditing and intervening and snatching girls out of that stuff. And um, and like ICE and the FBI would give them um, kids to help rehabilitate before they're even ready for the standard foster care. And, uh, you know, I just asked God one day for a, uh, to use my mind to give me an invention that could maybe stop human trafficking. Okay. And then I seen a vision on my way back from selling my business at about a 12-hour drive from Ohio to Iowa, and uh, leisurely. So I was thinking to myself, what could I do, and what should I do? Because that, that other business like my life for like 12 years. And then I just uh, saw a vision in my mind about a thin film um, sensor that could go on the ceiling of a shipping container or refrigerated or dry van going down the road or even railroad cars and shipping containers and everything, 20 and 40 foot ones, they could detect like 20 different inputs, like CO2 levels, um, temperature, motion, just to name a few. And then if it could detect something, it would send out a signal to pull over the trailer or pull over the truck or pull over the whatever. And I thought to myself, how are we going to do that um, as far as uh, you know, a battery to power it? And then all of a sudden I saw in my mind, so then uh, about a mile or two, uh, hour or two farther down the road, I wonder if that same principle would work on the larger scale for uh, the power refrigerated transport units with. And then uh, I got back home here and started in the research development into that and realized that it could. And so we made a system that actually power thermal king refrigeration unit off of kinetic energy. And uh, then it converts that to electricity and it gets really complicated. But basically it powers a refrigeration unit with the hybrid system now. So we put a 30 horsepower um, uh, motor like you'd see in a factory to run a conveyor belt onto the trailer now. And then we tie that into the diesel system. So then it can um, power the refrigeration unit as it drives down the road. And when it runs out of electricity, then it switches back the diesel if it needs it. But the diesel starts the system up and gets it up to speed off grid. 
And then so we applied that to the uh, electric vehicle market now. It's much smaller, but a much larger market. And we're calling that product the L-Loop, which is basically our first unit that can double the range of your average electric vehicle that's battery electric. And then our K-Loop Kinetic, which is coming out now in a couple weeks. And um, it'll actually be able to charge what's driving and uh, off the wheel energy and um, get like maybe four or five times the mileage of what a regular EV can get now. And so that's what we're doing right now. And um, the market for that is the retro market is actually a decent size, like about one and a half million electric vehicles, like 2011 and newer. So that was just a vision I got and it morphed into this. And as soon as I make enough money doing this um, for electric vehicles, then we're going to get right back into helping with uh, the same sensor for stopping human trafficking. And that's the whole reason I'm doing this. Wow, that's amazing. How, how does the sensor, uh, forgive me for asking, but uh, maybe I'm, I missed something, but how does the sensor potentially help with the human trafficking problem? Oh, because it, it's built inside a container and it can detect humans in it. Oh, like literally, uh, what, their yeah. heat or movement or what, like how? Different things, heat, CO2 levels, motion. There's about 20 different inputs. And when they're all put uh, together. Uh, yeah, because what I was thinking of was last week when they found that, that truck, which that, that yeah. sat thing with the, the people that died in Texas. Like, well, the heat, the heat factor wouldn't, because it's like 140 degrees in the trailer, but other things, that all it kicks in sounds like. Well, the heat factor would still kick in too, because every person's like under what light bulb. You get three right, or four. Right, 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 right. But like when it's in, you know, Laredo or Arizona or something like that, when it's like 130 outside anyway, and like even harder inside, your your body's only about 100 degrees. I was thinking that. Does that well, make sense? yeah, okay. I guess you could look at it that way, but also still the internal temperature is going to go up because of that, and you could actually uh, correlate and calculate the. Uh, Interesting. The intensity and the outside temperature to start with to see how much it should radiate through the trailer. And I'm telling you, three or four, ten people is another kilowatt of heat energy, and gotcha. that would show up even even without the even with that extreme of temperatures, there'd still be a temperature differential greater than what it should be calculating all the other stuff in with a computer program. That's really cool. Yeah. I know that Nicole and I always talk about the. Oh, it's it's really a ridiculous epidemic out there that that nobody in the media seems to, to cover, which is the human trafficking and slavery and all that kind of stuff. Using about 20 different inputs in a computer program that I'm designing, I'll be able to tell if even one person is in a shipping container over a long period of time. It may take two or three hours to detect one. If there were five, 10, 15, or 20 in there, it probably take like 10 minutes and they'd be caught. That's but incredible. then this, this sensor, yeah, the sensor though, would then send out a radio frequency signal to our law enforcement frequencies that we have, and then they could pull over the vehicle. So if it was tampered with, it automatically send out a signal. And if it finds something, it'll send out a signal to pull over that truck. And that should cut down a lot on human trafficking, especially if we can integrate this into the sea land shipping containers. And when they're on the ship, they actually are plugged in. They have the ability to generate megawatts of uh, electricity to keep all these refrigerated ones running and lights on the ship and all they could plug into that and they'd have the sense of working even coming over here um and that's where a lot of these people come in from is through a ports like long beach and uh, laredo and uh, charleston and uh, seattle all the way up and down 
most people are smuggling in in this country in shipping containers because they can only inspect like uh, I think sure. one half one percent actually wow. actually get a physical inspection because there's just so many of these sea land containers coming in from China and elsewhere. That, but that's how they usually get here. Terrorists get here that way too. And part of the sensor can detect dirty bomb material like cesium fifty seven, um, uh, uranium, radon, what radium, whatever that it can detect it. It can detect alpha, gamma, and beta particles. So that cuts down to dirty bomb material or fissionable material. And it can actually detect uh, chemical warfare agents like VOCs, like nerve agent and blister agent and stuff from being smuggled in here too. And I actually heard to keep going down the course of the refrigerated stuff because if I started in human trafficking, that same voice that told me not to go with the people to Des Moines, okay, told me that we would um, – run into too much opposition we never get it off the ground into human trafficking to start with but to get a cash reserve build up with this wheel generator first and then when we're a mature business with like 10 20 100 million dollars behind us then we then we're supposed to enter this market and stop human trafficking worldwide and he said if i started early all the force to be a kill me i agree <laughs> i agree definitely and then you have start to get it, it into all the containers i mean it's it's only effective. Well, it's, just, it's, it's not just it's, not just that. He would actually probably be murdered. Yeah. This, well, yeah. That. <laughs> well, it, they can't take me out to God. Let's and never well, help. You know what I mean. You know what I mean. That's that's like the threat right now that it would probably go. Well, well, I mean, it's the same threat if I can make energy virtually free too. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Very true. <laughs> they can all get in line because I know I'm here for a certain <laughs> period of time. <laughs> No, I mean, they really can't. Because I, I actually saw that too. I actually seen when I was gonna die. You and saw when you were gonna die? How? Yeah, I seen when my physical body was gonna die. Wow. I already know the year and hour. And God told me this the truthfully. Not worry about anything else, because nothing can take me out till my time's up here. Wow, that's. And cool. the, the devil and the evil spirits don't have the authority to kill somebody. They can only kill them when God says its time is up and let the physical body die. Until then, they can't do nothing. But um, I actually did see when it's going to happen, how it's going to happen in the whole nine yards. But I heard even if I was in an airplane 35,000 feet up, if it crashed, I'd be a sole survivor because I'm supposed to be here. Nothing can kill me as long as I'm the will to God, as long as I don't use drugs or drink again. So I think it could kill me. Um, you go back to my old ways and quit. Yeah. But uh, but that's that's strictly the truth. And um, I, well, I, I'm going to keep my questions. I really would, I, I, I would love to spend more time with you, Jim. I, and I hope so in the future. Um, sure. one of the things that I was always even asked, like Nicole and other people, do you feel like everybody on this earth has a purpose? And if so, do you feel like other, some people's purposes are bigger than other people's purposes? Okay. That's a really good question, and my answer is yes. Everybody's here for a reason, or they wouldn't be. But I don't think any purpose is greater than the other two. Um, people could look at certain gifts as better, but it's just like every person is a facet of God, probably, and everybody has a gift. I don't care who you are. And whatever gift you're given is what you need to use on this world, And but that's not saying one's better than the other. Uh, I don't believe that. But I, I, I think there's something to that, but I really do. I really think everybody's here for a reason and a purpose 
them when their time up is up. Um, and if it isn't up, you're still going to be here. And I guess it's the only thing I can say, but look at this, right? If I would have uh, started drinking again or using drugs, right? We wouldn't be having this call now, right? I never would have had a purpose in your life or you wouldn't have a purpose in mine, but we do now. And that's sort of what I'm thinking. Okay. Well, I believe yeah. that, you know, spirit comes through many, many ways. And, um, you know, for you, it's coming through um, a lot of the Bible and uh, Christianity. And uh, for me, it it's more, uh, it's less religion for me and more spiritual based, um, more esoteric uh, in some, yeah. in some ways. Uh, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean that one way is better or, or worse, right. you know, it's just, that's kind of the beauty of it. We all gravitate towards certain, certain things. And that's where, if that's where you're resonating, that's where you go. And you will be, um, you, you will be led the way that you're, you're most receptive to. Uh, thank you for sharing so much. It was very amazing even for myself to hear, even because I read your testimony online and, and it was quite interesting, but there's something different when you actually hear the inflection into someone's story. You know what I mean? When I get okay. to hear your own words and the way you speak, it's like the authenticity of what you're talking about really does hone in for me. Yeah, it's true because what I'm speaking is as much truth as I can make it. But I tried making as uh, positive, uplifting as I could in there, but... Like I told Nicole, I just sometimes wonder, uh, you know, honoring your parents and all what I should really say about the generation before me that caused my problems. But but that being said, it's all truth. So, you know, maybe it'll help somebody else. Uh, yeah. I have actually gotten emails of people that read that testimony and um, they're like, wow, if God can use you. I, he can use me too, I guess. And that's what it was put up there for, because I really believe as long as somebody's living and breathing, that they had the option of doing what's right, you know? A hundred percent. And uh, that's, that's what I think of a lot of. And uh, anybody's life can still change. And uh, the life change in my life is is really supernatural, and I'm glad of it. Or, you know, maybe we wouldn't have that uh, invention I'm coming up with. Uh, I, I always found it, like, I always imagine it would be a lot easier, like, let's say uh, 2,000 years ago to see stuff like this than it would be nowadays. Oh yeah, 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 and uh, that's true too. Um, I think that's because a lot of people are closed-minded and they rely on science facts more, right. and the left brain kind of thing coming out and and just like uh, not listening to the right brain. The right brain is always still there. Our intuition is still there. People are dull to it, but it's still there for everybody. Everybody could be doing like what we're doing, and then a generation they'll probably be so far ahead of us. They're like, wow, you're just Time traveling? That's what I understand. Right. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. I got I to gotta just interrupt because something funny just happened with Lisa and I. As, okay. you, as you just said that about everyone has the right brain um, ability, a light on my phone just turned on by itself. <laughs> oh. That's a confirmation, everyone, that what Jim just said is true. So... You know, for all of the people who just think they can't access this, it's available to each and every one of us, but you can't wait to see it. You have to first believe that you can, and that's when your gifts start to um, basically become activated. Uh, because okay. it's, it's, I do believe yeah. that it's our disbelief 
that um, that turns everything off or it blocks it. So it's really yeah. important to 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 believe it before you see it so that you can see it. It's also mm-hmm. important to use your gifts for for good, like what you're doing and the money coming into your account and things like that, I think is just a testament to you're being supported because you're what you're doing is okay. is true and it's right and it's there to help. You're trying to help people. You're not doing it for greed or for yourself. Thanks for being on the show. Really appreciate it. It was great, great having you. Thank you, Jim. Yeah. And and one of these times, I think I'll see you and Nicole in person. I have a, a relative out there, like I said, that's a realtor in Boulder. And uh, my aunt's going to probably move out there, and my sister's going to move out there, too, from the West Slope. And uh, she lives in Grand Junction right now. She's an artist and has some of her stuff in some Denver galleries, I think. But uh, yeah, something, jury or whatever. Something tells me if you uh, come out here, Michael's going to be making a trip out to Denver. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> so yeah, let us know. Yeah, let us know. Yeah, nice let us know. We'll all we'll all get together. Yeah. Maybe we'll do this uh, again all in person. All right, Jim. I'm gonna go watch. I'm gonna go watch some TV. You go fix a car. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Have that's a great a, night. Fix my Thanks okay. so much. Good Jim. night. Bye. Good night your car. I just I'm curious, Michael. You know, because I know you're a skeptic, but not like so much that you you don't want to believe. Like, I know you want to believe as you've said it. What's is there anything different like hearing Jim's story that um, that makes like that makes a different impression on you about all this stuff? Well, it's different than you guys. Um, His his story and his testimony, uh, not different in a bad way, just different. Um, like, cause you both, and correct me if I'm wrong, you pretty much both believe in reincarnation, correct? Yes. And we haven't really touched up on this in podcasts yet, like afterlife stuff. Um, but like with reincarnation, is there such thing as hell in your guys' opinion? I believe hell is just a really low frequency. Because the way he describes it is like, yeah, there is a hell, and I was about to go there, and I actually even visited it for a couple of minutes, and it was not fun. I, and, and I've so heard those testimonies before from yeah. people, so I'm not discounting it. My personal belief is that hell is your perception. Like, you can have hell on earth. Like, if you're at such a low frequency, and you're, you, I mean, people are living out a hellish life on earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, it's all about, like, different dimensions, right? So... You know, as we say in the higher, like as you go up in the dimensions, your frequency gets um, higher and higher. There's more light. There's more positivity. I, 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 and I, I follow that, but like hell, you don't come back from. And and reincarnation, I think, is no, basically. Okay, so I don't, <laughs> I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. And and it's I've heard this often that you always have the choice to turn around to make things different. But a lot of souls who um, are choosing, say, the darker side of life, uh, they always have the opportunity to um, change their ways and go towards the light, as they say. And uh, it even, doesn't... even if they were in theoretical hell. Yeah, because God's never going to let his children not come home. Yeah. It's their choice. They have free will. And they're always welcome home. Yeah. Okay. Very interesting. 
So I believe like the, when he talked about his um, vision of hell when he was down there and he saw all the people, but he couldn't talk to them. It's like those people are not choosing to leave hell. But if they were to choose to leave, just like he chose and he said Jesus, he was able to leave. Right. Because he, yeah, did, so, he I mean, did go to hell and come back. So that kind of debunks that whole theory. You can't go to hell and never come back. But he just yeah, has so true. many, uh, so many examples and just so many amazing things have happened in his life. Like it just blows my mind. Yeah, which also goes to the next point is like I feel no, I don't feel. Um I I, I don't know what, how to say this, but like sometimes if you have a comfortable easy life, do you not really get to experience these things? <laughs> I uh, no, I don't believe that you're It's a lot of, harder. Is it a lot harder for that, that type of person to experience these no, things maybe? No, I don't believe that. No, I don't believe your suffering dictates um your level of experience but i do believe that the suffering that you have you've chosen as you reincarnate into this life because it's going to serve you very well for a reason um or it's going to there's there's some sort of um grand purpose behind yeah, it yeah exactly that's why you hear like all whenever you're hearing about all these uh stories of faith or like when people turn their life around it's like it's they get to share the story and it inspires others you know they become stories of inspiration um to to show people that you know no matter how low things go you always have the ability to turn things around so if you think that things are really bad and you just can't get out there's always a way out and you have to experience things to know to be able to relate to other people sometimes like if you've never gone through a divorce or whatever it's hard to relate to somebody who's gone through a divorce or had their heart broken and so those experiences help help to help you to relate to other people and maybe help them yeah yeah i mean and and one thing there's an underlining um word that keeps coming up in in a lot of faith and in humanity and in happiness and in non-happiness and in depression and that is either hope or lack thereof and and i keep hearing that is hope hope and i do remember and i remember many shit days in my life where and i'm sure you guys both have had those too where like the hope was so low so low that is like you just like why am i even here why do i just take me now kind of hope you know and then it, i that's like very a key thing that I'm interpersonally working on in my own life is really trying to bring back the more hope because I lost so much the past uh, five, six years of my life. And that's probably why I, you know, I don't want you guys to go all, you know, preachy on me, but that's probably why I am really gravitating towards you guys and this podcast and just talking to you guys because it really does um, blow on the, the embers of my hope, if you will. So it's like, that's why I'm telling telling Jim, and, and I know you guys know this too, it's like I'm not playing the skeptical to be an asshole. I'm playing the skeptical because skeptical questions are a great way for everybody to learn no i think i think it's important to have skepticism you have to have that with your discernment it's just and i know you're not doing this it's just you never want your skepticism to control your ability to believe something 
poss- the possibility of something. So right. it's important to have that as your discernment. But, but still be open. Yeah, but to still have that open mind. I don't know, but it was very, very interesting, and uh, he seems super genuine, which is always a big bonus because when you're just reading words on a on a web page, it's it's only goes so far. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Uh, so so I was I was it was a good show. It was fun for me. So next week we have another guest on. Uh, we have a channeler coming in who just started channeling. They're called the Power of Ten. So her name is Michelle Paisley, and she will be coming in to join us next week. So we're looking forward to that. So to everyone, if you uh, enjoyed the show and you want to keep up to date with all of our shows, please go into iTunes and subscribe so that you will be updated every time the show is loaded. And if you need to ask us any questions, please send them into our email, info at enlightenup.us, or to our Twitter account, Uh, at enlighten up us and of course you can follow us on social media facebook instagram youtube all that great stuff and if you need to learn any more information uh, you can go to our website enlightenup.us so thanks again everyone and we'll catch you next week